Welcome to Northridge Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. For more information, visit us online at northridgethomaston.com. Now prepare your heart as we dive into God's Word. We started a series about three weeks ago entitled, Who Told You That?, based upon the text in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 11 where the fall had now occurred. Adam and Eve found themselves hiding from the Lord, and that's what sin does. You go from hanging with God to hiding from him, and we've been hiding ever since. And God asked the question, who told you that you were naked, implicating, of course, the enemy, the father of all lies, that there was an originator of the lies that are told in our life, or at least the conviction of our life and our sin. We talked about the first week, this idea of being alone, this idea that we oftentimes try to accomplish life without help, and we realized through that talk, of course, that we need community. We're created for that. Then we talked about coming out of that, our identity, and I had no idea of, of, the, of the conversations, the emails, the texts that would be stirred on by that message of realizing who we are in Christ and what does that look like as we effectuate our life. And so we decided to come out of that with last week's talk dealing with rejection, which is a big character trait of our identity, that if we come from a place of rejection, that does something to us in the way that we accept others, the way we trust, et cetera, you you understand. So this week I wanted to close out this last installment of this talk dealing with this idea of intimacy. Intimacy specifically with the Lord, uh, knowing that when we pray for God's glory to to fall, uh, what does that look like? It's it's presence. That's what we lost in the garden. We lost presence. When he put us away, it's something that we've been striving for. It's the hole in our heart. It's that, that broken, that fragmented part of our psyche. It's because we've lost fellowship. And so what we want to look at today is this idea of how we get that back here and now. And what does it look like? I lay this before the first group, and that is this idea that presence reveals his glory. And glory brings about anointing. You, you can't invite anointing upon your life. You see a, a, a singer, if you will, sing a song and you say, wow, they were under the anointing. Well, you can rest assured if that's true that there's been presence. There's been fellowship. They've seen his glory. You're, you're not going to come before God's people and reveal that type of anointing without having spent some time in his presence. Now, we say we want to read the word or dive into the word, or maybe if you're like me, when I first started reading it, you want to understand the word, but what I want you to do is go further and know the person who is the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and what does it say? And we beheld his glory. So knowing the person of the word reveals again his glory. We, we go even further than that and say we, we realize that in times of suffering, We want to be healed. We want to be brought back into a place of wholeness. But what I want you to do beyond that is I want you to see the lifter of your head. I want you to see the one who brings you out of suffering. When we talk about, of course, standing on his promises, we we say a lot about that. There's a song, right? 
but I want you to see the promise keeper. When we enter into a time of trouble, and we will, and we do, I want you to see the way maker out of trouble. If you follow the path here, it's not just being fixed in a moment. It's not just having a, a, a church service. It's, it's seeing the glory of those moments effectuate in our life to where we see the personality behind it. Under this premise today, we walk through life and we say, how are you, to someone as we pass them. And this idea of question that laid before someone really invokes the idea that we want person-to-person communication. How are you implies that I I want relationship. I I may be desiring a little more than intimacy. It's not a rhetorical question. I don't say, how are you, and, and not expect an answer, but that's what we do in behavior. We say, how are you, and we keep walking. So what we're looking like we want and what we're asking for are are somewhat diametrically opposed. But but don't we do that with the Lord? We we want to see his glory, but do we count the cost? There's a a cost to the freedom living. I still believe in the greatest nation on planet Earth. I I believe that we do. I've been to some other places, and many of you have as well. And and despite our many troubles, I still think that we we live currently in the greatest nation. We have our brokenness. We have our our limitations. We have, there's a lot of, maybe y'all know there's a lot of crazy going on in America right now. But aside from that, I think we still have because God is still in our hearts. But make no mistake about it, when that flag comes by and we pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, know that that freedom costs somebody something. Know that there's a soldier somewhere, now or before, that has sat on a wall and has said, I I won't be moved. I won't be taken down from this moment to ensure that freedom. And if that's true for our freedom in our country, know that the freedom that we have in Christ also costs somebody everything. God gave his only son that we believe in him, we can have what? Everlasting life. It costs him everything. So so please don't mistake this idea of grace and hiding within the, the, the crevices of grace to think that for you to have that level of intimacy, for you to have that level of glory, for you to have that level of anointing is not gonna cost you something. Matter of fact, I'll go ahead and give you the punchline. It's gonna cost you everything. I asked the question this morning. I said, what is it that we want most in this life? And without question, everybody said, him. We want his presence. We want his blessing. We want his fullness. That was the the kind of place we landed. Because when you're in his presence and you have him, you get all of him. He holds nothing back. Would you agree to that? And how many would say, I'm glad that he don't hold anything back from me. But watch this. That would definitely imply then to have the fullness of that relationship living out in me every single day that he also wants all of me. He wants everything that I am and everything that I have. I don't want you to stand today. I just want you to listen to this phrase. This, this, it's a text, it's a scripture, but I want you to listen to it under the context of just what it says. Second Chronicles 16 and 9 says this, the eyes of the Lord search Man, that, that, that alone is profound to me that he's looking, he's, he's, he's seeking. The enemy in John 10, 10 is seeking whom he may what? Devour. Here we see the Lord seeking and searching the world over, to and fro, some translations say, the whole earth in order to strengthen those who are 
fully committed to him. So I ask you today, uh, are you strengthened in the Lord? Are you, are you missing something? Is there something missing in your life? Is there, is there question marks? Is there fear? Is there anxiety? Is there all of these other things working in your life? Or do you feel truly strengthened in the Lord? Because the, the, the premise of this text says that if I'm not strengthened, if I'm operating in a weak faith, then maybe, just maybe, I'm not giving him all of me. I'm not fully committed. Everybody say fully committed, fully committed to find who he is. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, that you would help me to rightly divide this word with truth and power, that we may see you, we may see your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. I was, um, I've shared this before, I shared it with some of our team this weekend, we have a staff retreat, and so I shared a lot of this, this will be somewhat of a repeat for some of them, but there's a story of a, of a professor the first professor that I had when I went to Bible college, and this is what I said. I said, when I, when I go, I'm the kind of guy, I'm coming out of the military, I, you know, from guys that have served in any capacity, understand, it was pretty cut and dry, you know what you're supposed to do, you know what you're supposed to wear, you know what you're supposed to say, you know where you're supposed to walk, those kind of things. So going in the military, I, I mean, going into the ministry, I wanted to know why I believe what I believed. I wanted to be able to open up the scriptures and say, I understand that, I know that, because I didn't. And so I pray that in the very first semester, I entered into a New Testament survey with, with a man named Dr. Benjamin Kokar from Romania. He was raised under the, or I should say behind, the Iron Curtain of Romania. And one of the things that they had to be careful of is the, the propagating of scripture because you couldn't preach the gospel there. In some cases, penalty by death for occupying a church service, for carrying a Bible for, and this is the case in lots of countries. Dr. Kokar's father was a pastor and regardless of what they had told him not to do and to do, he, he still would continue to spread this message of hope and he would share scriptures. They didn't own the Bible and I've told you this, they didn't own a Bible. What, what they would do is the Bibles were torn apart and they would go and collect the pages and they'd put them together and they'd pass page by page to the different people throughout their tribe, throughout their village. And they would memorize it. They would, they, would, they would meditate on it. The first night was a four-hour class, three hours and 45 minutes in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm, I'm sitting there in a class, and, 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 and he, he says, let's go to the book of Romans. And I open it, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this, this is going to be great. We're going to read the book of Romans. Well, I wasn't really in love with the word at that point in my life. And sure enough, we open, he goes to Romans 1, he begins to read, and I remember putting my hand in my head, and a few minutes into the reading, maybe around chapter 2, I hear a guy in the back sniff, and a guy on the other side of the room sniff, and before you know it, the guy sitting next to me was weeping. And I looked up, and Dr. Kokar had moved from behind the podium, and he's now standing in front of the people with his eyes closed, and he's quoting the book of Romans word for word before it was over. He quoted the entire book of Romans. And there wasn't a man or a woman sitting in their chair. They were laying on their faces crying, of which I was one. Dr. Kokar shared a story that his father had left the home one morning and had returned late at night. And when he came home, as, he, as many nights would have it, he had, he was, he had been beaten for sharing the gospel. This time his right eye was completely laid open. 
And, and he remembers this a little boy around 10 years of age seeing that and just being completely in fear. And he, his father, without any words, walks in the door completely stoic and opens the door and he comes to sit at the, the head of the table. He and his other brother and his sisters, they sit around the table and his mother gathered together the soup that she had made, this modest meal with homemade bread and she broke it and laid it before him, each with a glass of water. And, and she began to take a rag and she began to wipe the brow of of. Dr. Kokar's father and his older brother, 13 or so, he spoke up and he said, Father, what, what happened this time? He said, it's the same as always. I went to preach the gospel. I went to tell people about Jesus. And this is what happened. He said, Daddy, what did they tell you? He said, they, they told me to never preach this Jesus again, never open this Bible again, never talk about him, never teach him. He took a bite of his soup and he took a bite of his bread and he drank his water. And he took from behind his, in his pants, he opened a, a piece of scripture and he opened it up. He said, tonight though, we'll be studying from, first, from 2 Timothy chapter four and verse one. And he looked down and he read, be instant in season and out of season, preach the word. He wasn't moved by what the world could take or what someone could say. And that invites the glory of God. I've decided to call this message today in keeping with our sermon title, Who Told You Intimacy Was Free? True intimacy cost you everything. I'm gonna give you a couple of things that it cost you tonight, this morning. Number one, we give up the right to live our life through a secular worldview. We give up that right. So what does that mean? I mean that there's, there's basically only two views through which we see life. A secular worldview, the one the world wants us to see, the one that is forever changing, the one that is morphing before our very eyes, the one who says that, that marriage can be this when marriage has always been that, and, and one who says that you, you can have this written in your constitution and your bill of rights, but that's no longer the rule of the land, and, and we can change this, and we can change that, you can vote this, but we determine that. It, the secular worldview basically is just constantly changing based upon what it wants to say. And, and the, the right that I have to see life through that view or on the contrary, to see it through a biblical worldview, that that is unchanging, that that cannot change. In fact, if I can be bold to say that which really drives culture and science and every belief system that you have is found and rooted in an unchangeless truth. And, and the world doesn't want us to know that. The, the world doesn't want us to know that, that type of God that you can count on, even in times when you can't see him, you know he's working. Even in times when you don't hear him, you know he's talking. Even in times when you're at the end of your rope, even when your eyes laid open, that there's a point of reference that says, I will not be moved. You don't, you, don't, you don't get that from hearing a sermon. You don't get that from singing a song. You only get that from being in a place, in a relationship, and in a presence with him and him alone. See, the world says that parents, it's, it's really good if you just raise your kids today and, and just be their friend. 
the world. The secular worldview says, you know, probably not good to spank them anymore. And I, I wonder how many in the room just, just got, got beaten as a kid and your parents really liked it. Anybody else besides me? I mean, it just seemed like it brought them joy, Dale, when I got spanked. But I'm going to tell you, there was a, there was a, and I say this respectfully, there's a level of fear that I had when my dad walked, I got nervous when my dad got dressed and just put his belt on. I mean, I remember going to school and we had a, we had a, a, a teacher in the fifth grade who had a paddle with holes in it that would whistle. And it had a name on it, y'all. I mean, it was funny. It was a, I mean, it was, let me tell you though, but it was a, it was a reverence and a respect that when a police officer walked into a room, I felt like there was something to be a little bit nervous about because that represented law. It represented truth. It represented rules that, that really weren't bad things. Rules weren't bad. They, they were there to protect you. And I say this respectfully, but I say it without apology. Part of the reason, hear me, that we have issues with children growing up so stinking disrespectful is because they've never learned to respect mom and daddy. You know, we said, we said in 2020 when all of the, the racial tensions, I mean, they, they just, I mean, we've always known they've been there. They've always been talked about. I mean, gosh, we've even seen darker days in the past, but you almost wonder, I mean, what, we're, we're coming into something that's new and then all of a sudden we started being told that, that I have to hate you and I have to dislike you and I have to question everything and I'm wrong and we're bad and this is, but all of a sudden we realize that that only happens because of the conversations around the dinner table didn't happen in the school. It didn't happen uh, on social media. It didn't even happen on CNN, MSNBC, or Fox. It happened at the dinner table because we haven't explained and told our children that there should be a respect for life. The secular worldview says that the mama has right over her own body. Hey, I'm fine with that, but you don't have the right over the body that's in you. And And I get it. I mean, I get it. Even within the Christian circles, people are like, Anyway, the point being is you and I have to understand that we either want to directly impact and change as parents our children's life by showing them the one, number one commodity, which is respect for a living God that they're not going to respect if you don't show them. Otherwise, you give them a secular worldview. What does it cost? It costs you everything, mom and daddy. Every parent under the sound of my voice would probably admit openly that they would die for their child. They would take a bullet for them. And I don't think any of you would hesitate at that. But but the world is not asking you to take a bullet for them. God is asking you to take time for them. And to take moments and redeem them and teach them and talk to them and be honest with them. To tell them that, guess what? You don't get a trophy in life just for showing up. You gotta work at it. The Bible says if a man doesn't work, you ought not eat. You can't change that. Because you're, you're building a generation of entitled people who will never, ever, ever change the world for the glory of God. That's what I want. Stephanie and I could teach a class on parenting. We could. We're qualified. 
We've raised two. They're both in ministry. You know what the title of my class would do? I don't know what happened. Because that wasn't because I did it all right. Any other parents just say, you know what? I didn't do it all right, but I got some amazing kids. Anybody else want to testify to that? Are you with me? I mean, the point being is I don't know why they turned out. It was in spite of me. But I do remember a time where my wife was praying over their infant baby lives laying in a crib and praying for a spouse that they would one day have and speaking over them. There's no reason, Greg, there's no reason that my son should grow up at 32 years of age and has never drank. No reason, Greg. There's no reason why our children should have grown up serving the Lord. But here's what I believe God can do if you commit your life to him, even even if it feels like it's too late. You commit your life to him now, he'll change you. And when your kids see you change, it'll change them. Students, can can I speak to you students for a minute? Wave your hand at me if you're under 18. All right, praise God. Listen to me. There's this, there's this idea of, of popularity that has been around forever. Popularity means what today? How many friends you have on social media? No. We don't even know those people. We don't know who they are. I mean, and, and, and we put so much emphasis on that. No, it's, it goes back to interaction. We're created for community. But, but check this out. But when we, when we understand, 1 John, watch this. If, if, if what I desire is popularity in this life, here's what, here's what 1 John chapter 2, 15 and 17 says. Watch. Do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For that is of the world. And that's what's in the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of the Father abides forever. Is your desire to be popular, or is your desire to be holy? Because you can't have them both. The Bible says, I'll paraphrase, popularity with man is enmity with God. But here's what's cool, young person, but being holy and being right with God will give you enough of who you are in him that you don't need anyone else to define who you are outside of that. So, first, listen, nothing wrong with sports. Nothing wrong with sports. But when we were kids, I'm just gonna say this, when we were kids, the town shut down on Wednesday at 12 because everybody realized it was time to go to church. There was no such thing as travel ball. I'm not knocking travel ball. I'm not. You, you, listen, you got to sort that out with, with, with you and your family and the Lord. And, and I get it. I mean, I get that the love, I, I, I love playing sports. And when we were coming up, it wasn't just you play baseball or you play this or that. You played everything. I mean, you just did. You just knew that's what you were supposed to do. But I just want to say this to you. Look, look at a Tim Tebow. There's no question. Tim Tebow committed to investing in his athleticism. So I had no problem with that. But when it mattered the most and he got in front of God's people, that's when it counted. As he declared who he really was. 
and he lost it all in the world's eyes. But really and truly, he's making the greatest impact now he's ever made. I don't know what God has in plans for your kids. Here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. Out of all the student athletes in high school sports combined, at best, less than 2% of them will end up on a Division I roster. Less than 1% of them will ever get paid one penny in professional sports. Yet 100% of them will stand before King Jesus. So see, we, ha- we have to, again, it's a matter of emphasis. Again, if you can, and only you know, if you can do that and you can have church and you can speak the, the word of God over them and you can train them up, hey, listen, I'll, I'll be here to help you any way I can. But just make sure that God wants all of them as well. And young person, can I say this to you? Despite what the world says, you know what else? He wants you to be pure in marriage before you get married. He wants you to be a virgin. And the, and the young boys, they're sitting there going, that's right, they sure do. He wants you, he wants you, no, he wants you too. Because here's what happens. If a young man or young girl gives their self to two, three, four, five, six, ten, or whatever it may be, people along the way, then when they finally stand at that altar to give their whole heart to that one person that God created for them, they have a depleted heart to give. It's not whole. And it's the reason, it's part of the reason. I'm not saying that fixes everything. It doesn't, because the world is, is a lie. The world is after us. The world is after our marriage. The world is after our children. The world is after our holiness. But I'm telling you, if you give yourself over to the Lord and you live a life that's set apart unto him, holy, be ye holy for I am holy, separated, that's what it means, separate, I promise you, I promise you, you'll see some amazing things in this life, in marriage, in in raising your children, in the workplace. Why? Because just having him and being in him is enough. All the other stuff are additions. They're added to you. He says, seek you first the kingdom of God and all, everybody say all, all of his righteousness and then all these other things is just gonna be added to you. Real quickly, we have to give up the right to our time as, as the band makes their way back up. I just wanna go ahead and get that out of the way. We have to give a right to our time. Presence costs you time. But how many of us are running from pillar to post? I mean, running in. I mean, don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. How many, don't raise your hands. Some, somebody in the room is going to raise their hand. How many of y'all argued on the way to church this morning? I'm not even going to look up. Because we have a camera out by the road and we saw 23 of you fussing, driving in. I'm kidding. Y'all coming up the hill and you're just, and then you see a guy out there doing a welcome home sign, you're going. (laughs) 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 Ephesians 5 says this, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. Man, that's strong, right? But like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because it will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Listen, time is fleeing. Time is running from us. It's the one thing you can't stop. You can't get it back. 
That's why we, our staff, we talk about this. It's one thing if I, if I get on here and say, hey, uh, glad you were at church. Uh, love you, mean it. Send. May mean a lot. But what means more is, hey, what's up? Hey, this is Mark. I was so good to see you. Can I take you to lunch today? Because then you have given them that, that, that expendable item of time. And it means everything. Can I, can I tell you what your kids want most? Parents, they want you. If you never bought them a thing, but they had you. It's true. It's really true. And I find it to be more true as time goes on. Do you know, when, when my dad played ball with me, he played every, he, I mean, everything, right? But there were times that I would ask him to come outside and pitch with me or kick the football or let's play tackle or what have you. And, and, and he had something to do. How many of y'all heard the song, The Cat's in the Cradle? Go listen to it. You'll be crying. Here's why. I remember that. But then when I got in my 30s, you know what my dad wanted to do? He wanted to hang out. I'm like, Dad, I can't. I I can't do that now. Now, I I got my own kids. I'm living in LaGrange. I got my own thing going on. Maybe we'll see you next weekend. Maybe we won't. And there's this urgency because then you're like going, time is, is going. And, and, and guess what? I, I did the same thing. My, my kids still today, you know, you know what the one thing they talk about my greatest failure in life is, is, is I was building them a tree house. Now, if you, if you know my personality, it was going to be a tree lodge. <laughs> David, you get that, right? You're going to build a tree house, it's, it's going to be like, it's going to involve like 10 trees. Right. I think I spent about four grand just on the flooring system of this tree house. <laughs> and I didn't want to build it. I did not want to build it, but I wanted to be the best dad and so one day, lightning struck the main tree, and I quit. I was so thankful that thing hit. I had to stop everything. Do you know today what my kids still tell their kids is, hey, just, just know this. When, when we were little, G didn't ever build us a tree house. <laughs> so you know what I'm doing now to make it up with the grandkids? They get their own house. <laughs> you want a four wheel? You want two? Because we, we do look back and go, man, I wish I could reclaim the time. I want to hang out with my son now. He's like, nah, I don't do now. Because it, it kind of it cycles back around. The pastor gives up time for his family. The missionary gives up time of his life to serve another. The children's worker, oh my goodness, they have a special place in heaven for these folks. The children's worker gives up time in here with you to worship the Lord together to serve your children so that you can be in here. It, it costs us something when we give ourselves over to the Lord. Not only time, but thirdly, real quick, watch this. We give up the right to the crowd. We give up the right of the world's applause. That's good. And that, that is hard for us because we want to be affirmed. We want to be celebrated. Even if you're not a words of affirmation kind of person, it, there's something that, that chemically happens when your name is called. It releases endorphins just to have somebody say happy birthday to you or for somebody to tell you, hey, I appreciate you. Hey, that song was amazing, Ashley or John. You know, it's, it's something metaphysical. But when we look at this idea of this right to the crowd, Matthew 6 says it this way. He says, when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues in the corner of the streets. They may be seen of men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place 
And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I, I begin to wonder, because in the first few verses of, that, of Matthew 6, it talks about giving gifts. And it says, don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. If you give a gift, just give it and walk away. Don't go and declare it. Tell everybody, hey, let me tell you what I did. Then you have your reward, right? Same here. When you pray, when you go into that secret place and you pray in secret, he sees it in secret, he rewards you. What's the reward? It's him. It's him. And if if I say that and you're kind of let down, but oh, I thought there was a, a greater reward. There is no greater reward than just him. He's the reward. His presence. Because in the fullness of God, there's great joy. There's great liberty. In Isaiah, the Bible says that he will take that burden from your neck and that the yoke will be broke, broken because of the anointing. By being in that presence, there's something sweet, there's something special. You don't, you don't have want, you just have fullness. But you've got to give up the right to the applause. Don't trade hype for glory. Lean into the still small voice. What was it that Elijah found in that moment as he was running from Jezebel and he hides himself in the mountain? It's the earthquakes and the fires and the roarings and the thunder and all the splendor of it. And the Bible says, but God's voice was not in that, but it came the still small voice. That, that means a whisper. And, and I got thinking about that one time. I thought the way you hear whispers, you got to be close to where you can feel the breath on your neck. Because what he whispers, Melissa, is words that sometimes I can't even, I can't even tell you what they were. They were just so sweet. They don't, they don't fall in line with our vocabulary. They're just a, and you just feel that sweetness. Don't trade relevance for presence and never tra- trade opportunity for anointing. Let me, uh, let me lay this before you as our last thought. We have to give up our right to our rights. I, I, I don't really know where it happened along the way, but somewhere along the way we became entitled. And, and it's, really, it's really fractured our culture. If you got what you deserved, if, if, if I and we got what we deserved, we would be separated from God for all of eternity. That's the truth. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, so the gift implies that you didn't earn it. Wage says you earned it. Gift is what he gave out of love because he loves you. This idea that Paul, we see this in all the Pauline epistles, meaning the the letters that Paul wrote. Paul was a very unique guy. And Paul began to explain in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, and I won't get into it. He he began to explain this idea of food laws and circumcision. And and he basically explains to them that all things were permissible by the grace of God. 
They no longer had to abide by this food law of what you can't eat and what you can't eat and you know that you gotta, you gotta get circumcised on day eight and you gotta do all of these things that the Jews had to do, the Gentiles, you and I. Now there's this new concept. It's by grace are you saved through faith. And he's having to explain it to them. And, and I love that because he said, but to the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. He says, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. What was he saying? He said, I'm giving up the right to be who I am as an apostle. When, when they, I mean, and again, this is, the Bible declares openly that there should be honorarium to those who spread the gospel. That was in, in times of antiquity. That meant that churches would raise money and give the preachers, that would, apostles, teachers that would come from church to church. They'd raise funds. They still do this in Africa. When you go to Africa and you go to a church and say, I mean, if you were to do it and say, hey, pastor, what do you make? He goes, I don't have a salary. But what happens is a car dealer gives them a car, a suit maker makes them a suit, this person builds them a house, and that's the way they did it in times of antiquity. But Paul said, I'm thankful that even as an apostle worthy of that honorarium, that I didn't take a penny from anybody so that I could just preach the gospel. He says, I'm giving up the right to my rights. And I love this, and I'm almost done. That's why I love this reading in Philippians 3. Watch what he says. This is his resume. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, and I am a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable. Watch this. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done for me. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For this sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on my faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, share in his death, so that one way or another I will experience resurrection from the dead. He gave up his right to his rights. The cost of intimacy is you. He wants all of you. And like the song says, withholding nothing. If, if, if that thing that, as I'm saying these over your life today, is there something you're holding back from him? Then that's the block. That's the block to the glory. That's the block to the anointing. That's the block to understanding. An open line of communication. The fullness of God. Seeing all of him. Experiencing him in ways you've never experienced. Not just at church. Not just when a song connects with that chord. But when you're at home. And you go to lay your head down. And all of the worry of this world comes flooding in and your heart begins to palpitate. And all of a sudden you just, 
We just fall into that sweet peace that passes understanding. It's when you're worried about everything, but you don't let it guide your thoughts and your moves and your motives. Trust in the Lord, the Proverbs writer said. Trust in the Lord in all of your ways. Acknowledge him. Lean not unto your own understanding. And he'll direct your steps. You know where he's going to take you to? Beneath his feet. Every head bowed. And every eye closed. How many of you could say that, um, Mark, I, I want that kind of experience I want that kind of peace. I want that kind of trust. I want that kind of joy. I want the fullness of God in this life. I do, and I want it now. Would you raise your hand? Hands are going up all over the room. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Then what I invite you to do right now, before I ever, ever invite you to stand, is just go to that secret place right now with him, right where you sit, and just invite him to overthrow your flesh. Invite him in to wreck your plans, to interrupt you. The rest of you in the room, are you 100% sure that you're a child of God today? If you're not, would you pray with me? Right here, from your heart to him. Believing, and by faith, and by his grace, you can be saved. Just pray with me. Father in heaven, I am a sinner. I believe in Jesus. Jesus, I believe you died for me. So I want to ask you, to forgive me of all of my sin. Save me. Help me to live for you. I want to experience all of you. In Jesus' name I pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you pray that prayer today, I wonder, would right now, would you just lift your hand boldly and say, Mark, I prayed and I invited Jesus into my heart. I'm not going to point you out. Just lift it up real quick. Amen. God bless you, ma'am. Anyone else? I, I prayed and I invited Jesus into my heart. Amen. God bless you, sir. Praise the Lord. Look right in front of you. Look right in front of you if you prayed. Another hand up. God bless you. Praise Jesus. Yeah, amen. Hey, maybe you raised your hand. Maybe you couldn't. I want, I want your heads bowed. Look right in front of you if you prayed and invited Jesus in your heart. Look right in front of you. Pull out that little decision card and just write on back. Tell me that you accepted Jesus and give that to me on the way out so I can connect with you. Answer any questions you may have. Everyone looking this way. Everyone looking this way. If you need prayer today, we want you to come have it. Doors of our church are open. They've been open. We'd love for you to be a part of our church. If you feel this is where God would have you to be, that certainly is an invitation. But maybe for those of you who raised your hand and said, yeah, I, I want all of him. I want to give him all of me. But Mark, there's some, there's some things. I mean, you don't have to say what it is. Maybe just come shake my hand, give me a fist bump, walk away. But for the rest of you, we do this a lot at Northridge. Come and just walk and put both hands on, on the stage and say this. Say, God, I trust you fully. I give you me. All of me. And I want all of you. God, I trust you fully. I give you me. I want all of you. Everyone's standing to your feet. If that's you today, I, I promise you, if you come, it'll change you. I can't explain how, but it will change you. It'll help you to live for him out there. If you can just take a little step in here and just step out from the comforts of where you are as they sing. I want you to come. You come. Love you, brother. In Holy Spirit.
Some of you guys come down and pray with us. We're going to anoint Kelly Harshbarger. Been suffering from a lot of difficulty and and just medical stuff going on. And, and we're just going to believe God at His Word. If there be any sickness.